You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, is it good to be in worship this morning? Absolutely. Yeah. Y'all excited about studying the Bible? Yes, uh, me too. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Judges. We're going to be looking at Judges and Ruth this morning. Uh, you can just turn to Judges chapter one. That would be great for right now. Um, and I miss y'all. Got to um, fill in for Pastor David a couple weeks ago. And then I was at the Journey Retreat last weekend. But man, excited to be back in the venue this morning. Faux show. Um, Judges chapter one. And actually, I need you people in the middle. I'm going to need your help here. I'm going to take a picture real quick. Let me... Uh, I hate you. you look great, Kate. Don't worry. This is only going to be for us. No one will see this except the whole world. Okay. All right, let me see. Let me back up a little bit just so we can get a good shot here. All right. Everybody smile in the middle. <laughs> Perfect. We'll talk about this later. All right. Just tuck it away in here. Um, hey, you know, pictures um, can be funny things. Let me ask you, when, when you see a picture What's the first thing you do? If, you, if you're in the picture, what's the first thing you do? You look at yourself, don't you, right? Which is always so funny because I think that leads to, um, on social media, people like to post the picture that they look good in, right? So I always love it when, uh, this doesn't happen all the time, but occasionally people are scrolling through social media and they'll see that they're in a picture that somebody else posted and they're like, why did they post this? I look ridiculous, right? Like your eyes are closed, you're picking your nose, whatever, but they look so cute, right? So you, you're killing me, bro. Like they, they look good, so that's the reason they post it. Pictures can be fun. We always look for ourselves first. My, my kids, uh, Hadden Carolina Tate, they like to um, look for themselves uh, in books. All the books we have with them right now are, are picture books, right? I mean, which I really, it works out well for me as well. <laughs> but, um, they're always picture books. And so they always like to see where they are in the book. They always want to point it out. So like there's just one uh, book called uh, Who Sang the First Song by Ellie Holcomb and re- really cute little good Christian book. But at the end, they're all sitting around the fire and there's this little blonde headed girl that's holding a bunny. And so Caroline Tate's always like, it's sissy, it's me, I in the book. I'm like, yeah, it's cute. And she always finds Bubba. Uh, I always get to be the lion, which I'm excited about. Somehow mom is always the zebra. I don't know why she gets to be the zebra, but she likes to point people out because uh, she sees herself and she sees us in these books. There's actually a book called, anybody have the book? Uh, if you're a parent, I don't know why anyone else would have this, but there's a book called Goodnight Red Raiders. Anybody heard of that book? Um, yeah, I see some hands going up. Maybe some of you, it was read to you when you were a kid. But I always laugh because it's just, it's just about Texas Tech and Red Raider Nation, all that good stuff. By the way, how about that W yesterday? Okay, um, it's exciting. But there's one page in the book where there's a guy, and he, I mean, granted, he has a beard, but there's a guy at a tailgate and he's holding a beer in his hand. And Caroline Tate always says, dad, dad, that's you, dad, dad, that's you. And I'm always like, how many babysitters have you told that dad, dad's at the game drinking a beer? Um, anyway, she's always a little con- confused about that. Um, but again, she always sees us in there. Even when we're reading um, the Bible or like a, the Jesus Storybook Bible, she always sees us in the book. She always sees herself in the book. And what I want to tell you is, to a degree, that's appropriate. When you read scripture, while, while it is ultimately about God, absolutely, he is the main character of the Bible. At the same time, you should see yourself 
in scripture. You shouldn't read it as like, oh, that's them and I have nothing to do with that because it's 2,000 years later. No, you should see yourself in the words of scripture. And as we're gonna study the book of Judges this morning, you should definitely see yourself in this story. But I just wanna forewarn you, you don't look great in the picture. It's not, it's not a cute picture, okay? And uh, for the parents, that are, we're not gonna get into some of the like, nitty gritty horrific stuff that Judges has, but um, you'll, you'll, you'll all get the gist that it's, it's not a pretty picture. And so how we're gonna do this, um, as much as we loved like Man of Richard last week, I'm kind of jealous he got to just soak in on one verse and so I'm slightly jealous, but we're gonna do uh, kind of an, a, a tour, you could say, of the book of Judges and get the, the overarching theme. And so you could kind of imagine me as your, as your tour guide for this morning. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna be in Judges and just kind of go through. Y'all down for that? Y'all game? All right, let's see this picture. So first we need to know, and by the way, at the end, I'm gonna give you some, some highlights, some key things. So if you're trying to take some notes, Hang in there. I'll make sure I give you something uh, at the end of Judges before we look at Ruth that you can write down. Um, but in the book of Judges, a little context before we actually get to reading some things. When they went into the promised land, God told the Israelites to drive the people out completely. Hopefully, by the, as we've been going through the book, you've caught that, that they were supposed to drive the inhabitants of the promised land out completely, like completely gone so that their gods, little g, idols, would not become a snare to them. Well, with that in mind, Look at chapter one, verse 27. Manasseh, which was a tribe, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 29. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Verse 30. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 33. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. All right, so look, look real quick. God told them to drive out, this is really difficult, okay, really tricky question. God told them to drive out the inhabitants. Did they drive out the inhabitants? No, very clear. So now look at chapter two, verse one. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give, you, give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. Now scroll down to verse 10 with me. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So the Baals, that was the false gods, the idols in Canaan. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned. 
and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges. Now, real quick time out there. Judges, not like ordering the court judge, right? Judge as in they were a deliverer of the people. The Lord raised up judges, I'm in verse 16. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. Yes, that's what it said. You, you read that right. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. All right, so what we just read is kind of an introduction, an overview of what essentially the rest of the book of, the, of Judges is about. That the people, they get into sin, they're like, God, please give us deliverer. Give us a judge. He sends a judge, a deliverer, and they, they, they act right for a little bit. And then they soon go right back to what? To sinning, to turning away from God. And it's this vicious cycle over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And just to give you a real, just hopefully clear and quick picture, we're gonna pretty quickly skim through some of Judges. And if you've got a pen or a highlighter, I encourage you maybe if you're not scared to, to write in your Bible or highlight it, to maybe mark these because you're going to see this theme over and over and over again. All right. So get back on the tour bus. Verse seven. So of chapter three, chapter three, verse seven. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Bells and the Asheroth. And so God raised up Othniel is what we see. All right, so they did sin, raised up Othniel when they cried out. Now verse 12, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So then if you keep reading chapter three, they cried out to God and he raised up Ehud to be a deliverer for them to bring redemption to the people, so to speak. All right, so then chapter four, y'all still with me? All right, chapter four, verse one. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So guess what? They did evil, things went bad, guess what they did? See if you're getting this, catching this cycle yet. They cried out to God, God, we need help. So he raised up uh, Deborah or Deborah. I always think of our friend Deborah. Anyways, Deborah and Barak. And they brought rescue. God brought rescue, deliverance through them. Now, skip over, or not skip, but move to chapter six, verse one. I know this is gonna be crazy. You're, you're probably not ready for this, but chapter six, verse one, things really get crazy. Things really take a turn. And it says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So again, God brought deliverance, but they did evil again. They eventually cry out. And in chapter six, I was talking to my buddy Seth earlier. Uh, this is where Gideon comes into play. So they did evil. They cry out and God sent 
a deliverer, a judge, Gideon, to come and bring healing to the land. Skip, move on over to chapter 8, verse 33. Chapter 8, verse 33. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Chapter 10, verse 6. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and in the hand of the Ammonites and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. Jump down to verse 10. This is amazing or like interesting to me. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you and you cried to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet... You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. So they're crying out to God and God eventually says, hey, you like these other gods so much. Why don't you let them save you? Why don't you let them help you? Because you keep going to those other gods. Eventually, uh, God gives Samson, some of you are familiar with this, the story of Samson. He helps bring deliverance. But if you go all the way to chapter, again, it's the same kind of path, uh, cycle over and over. But then in chapter 17 through 21, it, it kind of reaches an all-time low. In 17 through 21, you've got, you've got a priest who's basically like, hey, whoever wants to give me some money, I'll be a priest for him. I'll do whatever you want. I'll be whatever kind of priest you want, as long as you're willing to pay. You've got idol worship. You've got abuse. You've got rape. You've got terrible violence. Look at two quick things. Chapter 17, verse six. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So what was right to them, apparently, in chapter 17 to 21, was um, thievery, lying, false worship, rape, and terrible violence. That, apparently, to them, was what should be going on. Then the very last verse of the entire book is similar to what we just read, pretty much the same thing, 20, chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's a really encouraging book, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about snip, snap, snip, snap, like over and over and over again. 
they're choosing to go back to sin. Like God brings deliverance, we're gonna, we're gonna go back into sin. Oh man, things are bad because we're having a hard time. God, would you save us? He brings deliverance. They're good for a little bit and go back into sin. Now, I know this doesn't sound like any of us, does it? No, that's, that's the problem. See, if Carolina Tate were here this morning, she would be right to say, dad, dad, that, that's us. <laughs> that's who we are. On our own, that's who we are. If you're gonna write something down, I think it's this. The book of Judges gives us a picture. The book of Judges gives us a picture of how pathetically sinful we are. I know there, there's some high points in Judges. There's some cool things. There's, there are some good Judges. But ultimately, if you look at the book as a whole and what it reveals about the human heart, the picture of, the, of humanity that we see in the book of Judges, that we are pathetically sinful. I know this is gross, but it makes me think of Proverbs 26, 11 that says, as a dog returns to its vomit, you know what's going on there, right? Dog throws up, goes back and eats it. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. So saying just as ridiculous and gross as it is for a dog to, to do that, when you keep repeating the same old lifestyle of sin, you're just as gross and foolish. Tracking with that? That's the picture of the human heart in the book of Judges. Pathetic, dirty, hopeless. Remember when I asked you, when you see a picture, what's the first thing you do? You look for yourself in it. If we do that with this, if we do that with the Bible, if we just look to ourselves, it's really depressing. <laughs> What I want to encourage you with, there's actually someone else in the picture. There's someone else to look at. Flip one page over to the book of Ruth. My buddy asked me recently, or as in like an hour ago, <laughs> if, if Judges and Ruth are connected, here you go. By the way, it makes sure everybody's tracking with this. We're still on, the, still on the tour. So we looked at the book of Judges, the picture there. We're pathetic, sinful, hopeless. But we said there's someone else in the picture. So now we're gonna look at the book of Ruth, still kind of on this tour. How are they connected? Let's jump in, Ruth chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So Ruth is happening when? during the time of the judges. Make sure we're tracking that. So is there a connection? For sure, 100%. This story is going on during the book, at the same time as the story of Judges. So let's read verses one through five. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malone and Chilion, I really know, I'm just gonna say Chilion because it sounds cool. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of the one Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. 
and both Malone and Chilion, sorry, I can't say it straight, died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So I kind of botched that there by laughing about the name, but this is not a funny story, right? So you've got family of Israel, God's people now have moved to Moab, really outside the boundaries of what God had given them, you could say, of being with his people. And the husband dies and the two sons die. And then so it's Naomi left with her two daughter-in-laws. If you, we're not going to read it, but if you really look at verses six uh, through 18, you see that Naomi says, hey, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to go back to be with God's people. And one daughter-in-law says, okay, but Ruth, what does she do? She says, I'm going with you. If you look at verse, uh, this kind of famous verse, verse 16 of chapter one, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. So Ruth says, Naomi, like, you're stuck with me. Like we're in a bad lot together. Things are not good. By the way, uh, at that time, especially for these women were completely with both the husband or the husband's all gone and Naomi, her son's gone, destitute and hopeless. So Ruth basically said, Naomi, Naomi, we're going to be in this together. Like our lot in life is terrible, but we're going to be in this together. So Ruth goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. So uh, jump in verse 19 with me of chapter one. So the two of them went out, excuse me, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, excuse me, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, by the way. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi, she's in a good spot or a bad spot? She's a bad spot and she knows it. She's bitter. Like, can you imagine that? Like, dude, Brandon, what's up? I haven't seen you in a while. I'm like, don't call me Brandon. Call me bitter because my life is terrible. You're like, ah, come on, man. I'm like, no, seriously, my life is terrible. It's not funny. That's, that's where Naomi is. And that's where Ruth is. I, I'm going to summarize this for the sake of time, but um, chapter 2, verse 1 through 16, you basically see that they need food. So Ruth talks to Naomi and she goes out to a field to glean after the harvesters are coming through. She goes to glean what's left of some of the grain, right? And turns out that the lead man here, his name was, anybody know? Oh, y'all, y'all knew that one, Boaz, yeah. All right, so, um, always, never mind. Anyways. So uh, Boaz is there and unlike the other men in Israel, if you remember in Judges, the men were sick and despicable. If you don't believe me, read the last 17 to 21 of Judges and you'll see what I'm talking about. But Boaz actually protects Ruth. He's like, hey, y'all, y'all be careful with the ladies here. Like nobody lay a hand on her. So he's good to her. They even gives her food. Look at verse 17 with me of chapter two. So she gleaned in the field until evening. 
Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So, so Naomi realizes something happened here because this is not the typical thing going on in Israel these days. Someone was really gracious and good to you. Um, verse 20. I'm sorry, verse, uh, middle of verse 19. The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So they realized that this is a good man and that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was someone who had to be willing, able, and I'm forgetting a word here, sorry, um, coming just a second willing able and qualified that's what I'm looking for willing able and qualified to redeem someone so just Boaz wasn't blood kin to Ruth but he there's a connection there through marriage and he's so he's qualified he's capable and if he was willing he could redeem her buy back different time period I know buy back Naomi and Ruth and actually take Ruth as a bride to ultimately take care of them. So Naomi realizes this. And what we see in chapter three, uh, really all of chapter three, just to really summarize it, Naomi realizes this. I know this goes against what we normally tell our ladies, but basically says, uh, Ruth, you go tell him, you go show him that if he wants to marry you, you are willing. <laughs> like that, if he likes it, he better put a ring on it kind of thing, right? So that, that's essentially what's going down in chapter three. Again, I'm, I'm watching myself here. We're not going to get into all of chapter three, but she does. She goes and lays at his feet. There's different ideas of what she was doing. I think it's actually pretty like, oh man, it's pretty racy. Um, but she goes out there, nothing happened. They don't sleep together. Uh, what is, I, I'm going to get in trouble if I keep talking. So anyways, that's chapter three. She kind of puts herself out there. Chapter four uh, Boaz takes her up on this uh, initiation. He's like, all right, I, I'm gonna redeem you. So he goes and talks to someone who is a closer um, redeemer, like closer in kin, you could say. This man does not want to redeem Ruth and Naomi because he knows it comes at a cost. He's not willing to pay the cost. And so Boaz ends up saying, how am I willing to do it? I believe they trade sandals or something. So not how we do things today when you're gonna marry somebody, right? But um, they make this agreement and he's, Boaz is going to redeem Ruth. Jump in with me in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her a conception and she bore a son. Then the women said, said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, oh son, excuse me, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered, do you want to say salmon or salmon? We'll go with salmon, this is not a fish. <laughs> salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. What a weird ending. Or not. <laughs> What's going on here? It ends with the genealogy, which seems like an anticlimactic way to end a story, right? Like if you go to this epic new movie and it ends with like, and this is the father of him. They're like, this is so lame, right? Like, unless you know how the first book of the New Testament begins. It begins with a genealogy. And guess who is included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the savior of the world? These guys, <laughs> Obed, who fathered Jesse and Jesse, who fathered David. All right, so let's track together here. This love story between Ruth and Boaz, also cute. And it's cool, it's good. But it was actually a, part, actually a part of a much bigger, grander, more amazing love story. The love story of Jesus Christ coming to redeem fallen sinners. And what we're seeing here, how they're connected, is that through the lineage of Boaz and Ruth came the Savior of the world, who is also a kinsman redeemer, and that Jesus is qualified, he was able and he was willing to redeem us from our sins by giving his own life for us. Amen? All right, if you're, if you're not quite tracking with me, think of it like this. <clears throat> when you go, or if you have, or you will at some point, go uh, diamond shopping, gonna get engaged or whatever. I guess that's one of the main reasons you would go diamond shopping. Anyways, you're going diamond shopping. The diamond is pretty on its own, right? It's very beautiful. But what do they all, when they show it to you, what do they always put it on? A black cloth. Because the beauty, the shimmer, the cut of the diamond on that black cloth stands out all the more. The book of Judges is the black cloth to Ruth, the diamond that shows us the hope of the gospel. So here's what's going on. While humanity was writing a story of rebellion in those days, Ruth chapter one, in those days, while we were writing a story of rebellion, God was writing a story of redemption. Amen. Here's what we take away from this story. God, by the way, we're just gonna ask, we're small enough, I can just ask, and you can, you can talk to me if, you don't, if you're not with me. Y'all get the connection to Jesus, right? Y'all get that? He's the lineage, okay? Like he, God was providing a, a savior. Everybody with me? Just shake your head yes either way. Okay, good. <laughs> 
Here's the first thing. God gave his best fully aware of your worst. God gave his best fully aware of your worst. Like, I really don't know if there's a more gross book in the Bible than Judges. And it's in those days that God was still providing a savior. In those days, think about this. In the days of your doubt, he was still pursuing you. In the days of your lust, he was still pursuing you. In the days of your pride, he was still pursuing you. In the days of your ignoring him, he was still pursuing you. In the days of your hatred towards him, he was still pursuing you. In the days of your rebellion, he was still pursuing you. In the days of your bitterness towards him, he was still pursuing you because God redeems broken, bitter, sin-stained stories. That's what he does. That's what he does. That was the first thing I want you to see. God gave his best, fully aware of your worst. Second thing I want you to see, by the way, you guys look great in the picture. Great job. It's kind of dark. Should have left it somewhere else darker, but great job. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Let me, let me like talk about the picture first, then we'll unpack it. I know Polaroids are, Polaroids are kind of making a comeback, but most people don't like these kind of pictures. Why? I, I, I'm going to guess what you said. But, I, somebody talk to me, sorry. What did you say, Cade? Not the, best not the best quality, okay. What else? You get one take. You can't edit it, right? Like I got this camera a few weeks ago and took the pictures of the kids at the house and this film is not cheap, right? I take a picture and both kids are like, eyes closed. I'm like, well, that's trash, right? I guess it's cute in their own. I didn't tell them it was trash, but um, you can't edit it. It is what it is. So many of us haven't been hit and overwhelmed with the love of Christ yet, as portrayed even in the book of Ruth, because we haven't been willing to see ourselves in the book of Judges. What I mean is we've been presenting to God an edited picture. As long as you're trying to give God some Photoshopped, Snapchat filter, whatever it is, picture, it's gonna be hard for you to grasp grace because you haven't fully grasped that God loves you just as messed up as you are. That's the beauty of the connection between these two books, that even in their brokenness, even in their complete disgusting sin, God was still writing a plan of redemption. You're not gonna fully grasp the love of God and the forgiveness of God until you're willing to say, God, I'm gonna give you this unedited, unfiltered picture of myself, who I really am. And by the way, God already sees you as you are. He's not like, wow, great edit. I don't see, no, he's, he always sees the original. <laughs> So some of you this morning, you're, you're not a Christian. And the invitation, I believe, even from the book of Judges and Ruth 
is to say, God, I realize I'm a broken, sinful, messed up person. And that even in the midst of that, really despite my sinfulness, you came as a savior, a redeemer on a cross to buy me back and bring me forgiveness and hope and restoration with you. I said, God, would you take me? <laughs> See, the scripture says that it's the great exchange, right? We, we give him our broken sinfulness and he puts on us the righteousness of Christ. Jesus' picture doesn't need any editing. <laughs> He's perfect as he is. So for some of you, it's just, to get real with God this morning and, and maybe even to surrender to him for salvation. I think the third thing I would say, many of us need to remember we're not the only one in the picture. We already kind of hinted at this, but I think so many of us walk around, spend our days so focused on ourselves that leads to depression and discouragement. If all we had was the book of Judges, like if that was the Bible, I don't think anyone would be in here. Like if the book of Judges was it, that was the, like just one little bit. What a terrible, depressing, hopeless story. And if you're focused on yourself, that's what you have. So the takeaway for you may this morning be as a Christian to say, I'm gonna quit looking at myself and look at the main character, the main person in the Bible. I'm gonna look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. I'm gonna walk towards him. He is worth looking at. He is worth putting my eyes on because he is perfection. So some of you need to remember, you're not the only one in the picture. Look to Jesus. Amen? He's our hope. I'm really glad we're not alone in the picture, aren't you? It's more to the story. We're gonna have a time of response if the worship team will come on up. Um, and I wanna invite you, if you wanna sit and just talk with God about being real and offering him that real picture, uh, I want you to do that. If you wanna stand and sing, that's awesome. Maybe you're watching online, you wanna connect with somebody by clicking the connect button or shooting us a message on Facebook and say, here's what God is doing in my life. We wanna be a part of that and pray with you even. We're not gonna have um, pastors down front like we have sometimes, but after the service, uh, myself and Richard will be down here. I think Jack will be around here somewhere. Yep, after the service, we'd love to just pray with you see what God is maybe doing in your life, see how we can encourage you. Um, if nothing else, maybe stand and sing during this song. Fix your eyes in the better part of the picture. That's Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for how you ordered scripture that Ruth follows right on the heels of Judges. God, may we find so much hope this morning in looking to you who was writing a story of redemption while we were writing a story of rebellion. That even on my worst days, you're at your best. That even though you knew my worst, you still gave your best in Christ. So because of that, may we come to you honestly this morning with open hearts and worship you. God, for, for those that maybe don't know you this morning, I pray they would for the first time get real with you and see the hope and grace you offer despite their sin and their rebellion against you. And they would simply turn from their sin and say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I want you to be in charge of my life. I trust you to place my faith in you. God, would you give them courage to talk to someone after the service or to shoot us a message online? And we love you and trust you'll speak to us during this song.
Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 